0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. A lot can happen in a year. Trends, debuts, world-altering events, and pop culture and film is there to reflect it all back to us generations down the line. Welcome to the A Year in Film podcast, presented by Hollywood Suite. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton. And today, I'm joined by film and content specialist Cam Maitland and curator and film historian Alicia Fletcher. Hagsploitation, Psycho bitty horror. Grand Dame Guignol. The rush to make movies with past their prime starlets who suddenly go off the rails in violent ways is attributed to 1962's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane's release and subsequent box office busting, headline grabbing, Oscar winning run. But when you think about it, there's been hints of this genre throughout film history. Think about delusional Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. So when Whatever Happened to Baby Jane came out and did what it did, the release slate for movies was suddenly full of imitators, including ones that cast Bette and Joan individually and were also directed by Aldrich. By 1971, you'd think the genre would be all played out. And you would be wrong. Okay, let's get into this genre, which just so happens to be one of my favorites. Cam, Alicia, why were they still getting made by the 70s? And why don't we have more movies today where our James Caan equivalent torments our Olivia de Havilland equivalent who's trapped in an elevator? Because that movie (laughs) is messed up.
1: We do have an equivalent before wow. like we get into the past which I know Cam has some really great data. Yeah. Isabel Hooper starred in a film called Greta in 2018 yes. directed by none other <laughs> than Neil Jordan and that is the closest throwback to a psycho Bitty film and I want to yeah. encourage everyone to see this film. It's a little <laughs> bit different because Isabel Huppert has never diminished or yeah. faded away. She has been... A
0: class act <laughs> straight through.
2: <laughs> Maybe more famous yeah. than ever. Like straight yeah. through and
1: sophisticated and so watching her go full berserk uh, in Greta, which was never advertised as a Psycho Bitty film, very enjoyable.
2: Yeah. It was a very odd film because you kind of went in thinking that was it was like it was a little house French thriller
1: terrible. and it was like no, no
2: it's not no, no. someone's locked in a coffin <laughs> no <laughs> no, no 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 real trashy yeah it's it's it's, it's weirdly close to a, yes. <laughs> one of the films we're talking about but yeah uh I think I mean w- w- it kind of goes back to what some of our previous uh, episodes this season have been about which I think it's the changeover. Uh, Between the old star system and the new star system and the fact that we have not quite yet gotten those new Hollywood stars So I think an interesting thing as bad as you know as cruel as the studio system was What it did was essentially mint a series of people to be yeah. lifelong celebrities so it had worked so hard the marketing machine had worked so hard that it kind of did two things or number one these people were just so famous world famous forever until the day they died or chose to essentially retire they from just want to be life. left alone i get uh, it yes yeah exactly they either or or they did something terrible or you know decided to be openly gay or something <laughs> um That's like the two ways. But the interesting thing is they both did that. And I think it all, it produced a group of people who also demanded to be stars. You know, they, they did not want to be treated as less than a lot of the people I think from that era, uh, thought that there was stars and there was character actors and and it didn't matter how old you were, you were a star. So there's kind of a thing, like if you think, you know, as as much as the, the, kind of quality of the films changed and the style of the films changed these films are still star mm-hmm. vehicles that probably paid fairly well like as as embarrassing as like Trog is Trog is a Joan yes. Crawford movie starring Joan Crawford above the title and like Joan Crawford is the draw like I couldn't tell you who else is in Trog I don't know she's not even the main character but it's like yeah so I think that there's something there that number one you had these actors number two I think that all of these uh, exploitation people that we're going to be talking about one that weirdly is Kind of like it was an exploitation movie, but was sold and produced not really as one. But I think the exploitation people, especially your Corman's and your arcos knew that you could sell something on the back of X or Y. And you hear with some of these films that they were very picky about who, what old person would sell and what old person a wouldn't sell. Of
1: like, yeah, like a cadre, if you will, of old bitty actresses. Mm. And I think more to your to your point, Cam. Um, I love everything that you're saying is it's important for listeners to realize the difference between celebrity culture in the 50s, 60s, and 70s and today, like today, they're, you know, we can go on Instagram and see the accounts of actresses and actors, um, just performers in general, that we know from the 80s that have kind of retired and we're very much in their lives still. But if you yeah, think we about it, Yeah, can the, see
0: what Kurt Russell had for breakfast. Like, that's what's And going I, going I do on, yeah.
1: constantly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love following <laughs> Kurt Russell and Goldie and like, you know, they're still working, but <laughs> you, you get an idea of their private uh-huh. lives because they're in control. Whereas in the 50s, 60s, 70s, leading into the 80s, you know, you've, course had tabloids that were constantly trying to sell a photograph of Greta Garbo after she went into hiding, but it was a much different mm-hmm. era. And so really the way that you would engage with these monumental stars, and we're not talking, just talking about stars, but like people who basically formed Hollywood, who made the Hollywood machine, yeah. what it is, especially someone like Joan Crawford, who was there from the silent era into you know sound and was really one of the biggest stars of all time this was really the primary way you could engage with seeing the wrinkles and seeing their their bodies change um or in the case of like joan and betty never change which was came with its own medical <laughs> issues yes. and of course
2: you know we have a show called
1: feud which is a ryan murphy show that was the first season of it i think they're doing a second season but there's a lot so there's a lot of background on these films that have has been recently covered in um a television show but uh that's how people got to see them, is through these movies. And that's, I think, mm-hmm. why the posters for both the films we're going to talk about and really all the posters from the Psycho Biddy era are really spoiler alerty. Like, they show the last sequence, the sure. last scene, the last frame of the film, the shocking ending. And they're also so front and center with, like, these are the actors that you know from the classic era and you're if you were young and into mm. horror your parents knew them and they were collecting fan magazines with debbie reynolds on the cover and well not shelly winters but certainly joan and betty
0: and sure. uh, there are some Shelley yeah. winter fans out there you oh, know no, there I'm, not, yeah, no yeah, I'm not no i'm not just oh, shelly
1: yeah. was in terms of her star persona very yes. different than someone like betty and yeah. joan and keep in mind shelly winters is was a two-time oscar winner at this yeah. point in mm. um, when she made both of these films, and would go on again to win a, to be nominated for an Oscar just a year later in '72 with *Poseidon Adventure*. So, I mm. mean, she was really uh, like a an yeah. esteemed actress. We know
0: her as the grandmother from Roseanne oh, and I love her right. as the grandmother from Roseanne. <laughs> well, it's mean, interesting yeah. you bring up Ryan Murphy yeah. because he's someone who really has picked up the Psycho Bitty tradition bringing yes. us back Jessica Lang and Kathy Bates and Angela Bassett and like these women great who point. their careers had sort of diminished in a way and then they come roaring back in these really fun mm. out there, especially um, the coven season of American Horror Story is a great yeah. showcase for those women.
1: Yeah. Sure. Uh, Jessica, Jessica Lang is a great example to me You know, she's very on par with Mm -hmm. someone like Isabel Huppert, who is um, really tongue in cheek with her career and somehow still extremely relevant to a really young demographic who has probably never seen, you know, Tootsie or the films that really made her a star. Yeah.
2: And I mean, Jessica Lange is kind of fascinating, too, because, like, I always think in that movie, Hush. Mm -hmm. From 1998, mm-hmm. she was already kind of a <laughs> psychopathic. So it's like, she just keeps coming back. But yeah, I also think the other thing to think of is just there are such diminished opportunities Uh And now as well, but especially back then for actresses of a certain age and especially stars who wanted to star of a certain age. And I mean, you hear the interesting thing you hear about Shelley Winters is she like she obviously, I mean, she was like a a blonde, busty actress in the 30s and 40s, but she hated those roles. She hated the boring kind of ingenue roles. So she kind of got labeled a difficult woman because she didn't want. The major studio roles. She like famously, you know, walked into auditions without makeup and stuff to be like, treat it, me it like could a real you Explain actress.
1: why she's drowned um, in almost all of her films. <laughs> like <laughs> sure. Earth, *Place in the Sun*, drowned. Uh, <laughs> *Night of the Hunter*, drowned. drowned. <laughs> *Like *Beside an constant. Adventure*, yeah, drowned. yeah true. <laughs> yes.
2: I didn't think of that. Yeah, and I so I think that there's there's just a huge appeal, and, I, and Debbie Reynolds talks about it. And you would never think that Debbie Reynolds would be like like was a horror movie, yeah. but like people are, people got this, script passed around, and she said it landed on her, and it's the best role that anyone had offered her in years. So she was like obsessed.
0: All right, well that's the perfect place for us to get into this first film. So as we mentioned, this of course is the reinvigoration of careers, and you know what? There's a delight that comes along with it, is one of my favorites is back, and as you mentioned, Debbie Reynolds has this fantastic sense of humor about herself, but her career was one that really didn't lull. She was coming out of a sitcom, and she got producer uh, influence, which is Is partially how this film got made, which is kind of interesting. Um, But nonetheless, here she is in 1971 mixing it up with an actress who didn't have the best reputation for on-set behavior, Shelley Winters. And oh boy, oh boy, we've just started to scratch the surface about Shelley Winters. Now, this wasn't a departure for Shelley in terms of movies. In 1970, she'd played Ma Barker in The Brutal Bloody Mama, so audiences were ready to see her get nasty. And Shelley is in both of our movies today, but this one, Cam, you introduced to us. You even mentioned yeah. it last season, and it is perhaps... God, it's so the good. Greatest camp premise, I think I've ever heard. And I was delighted by this. Tell us about uh, what's the matter with uh, Helen.
2: Well, yeah. What's the matter with Helen is essentially like a gay man's brain exploded <laughs> all over the screen. Because it's like, uh, it's uh, so what's the matter with Helen? It, it's actually, I think, uh, for a Psycho Bitty movie, it's a bit more of a noir plot. It, it's yeah. an interesting uh, film. It was developed uh, by Henry Farrell, the writer of uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, and curtis harrington the director that kind of worked on it together and harrington suggested this early 1930s setting uh and also suggested aging up the actors uh it was originally kind of a a two younger women role but what makes this movie unique in the psychobity genre, I think is it, this is a story of two mothers. Uh, there are two women who, uh, whose sons commit a murder, uh, and it is so, so high profile that they're threatened, uh, and they end up leaving town, uh, from the Midwest to go to Hollywood, uh, to reinvent themselves. And they choose to do so via a, uh, like a dance school for essentially creating the next Shirley temple, uh, which is a very weird and specific idea from
1: our episode from day of the locust way back in season two this was such a phenomenon in mm. 19 this takes place in the mid-30s such a phenomenon along Hollywood Boulevard is these ridiculous uh, dance schools for kids and star making camps sure. for children I mean
2: I love it and, and you read uh, like much creepier accounts this is actually a pretty charming dance school where they do seem to legitimately be trying to make the children uh, stars um, but pretty good
1: and Debbie can dance Debbie, you know?
2: yeah they're not bad yes exactly yeah you, she's not lying um, uh, but anyway so uh, when they get there uh, the, the plot essentially goes two ways uh, Shelley Winter's character uh, Helen uh, becomes more and more like religiously obsessed becomes obsessed with an evangelist on uh, Amy Semple McPherson type uh, on the played radio played by
1: Agnes Moorhead wonderfully a
2: wonderful uh, one scene yeah, yeah. turn from it's Agnes Moorhead yeah. Debbie Reynolds uh, ends up falling uh, for a father a, a kind of Texas oil man uh, of one of her students and she essentially struggles with, uh, will she reveal the truth of what her life is, that she has this son that's in jail for murder. And along the way, Helen thinks they're being threatened she thinks there's people in the wings and is something happening and there may be some murders and there may be terrible things and menacing uh, gay elocution men and stuff like that yeah <laughs> who's just yes. a red hair mean, the, so the, like as we said uh if you are just listening to this and have never th- seen anything about this movie I suggest you go see the movie we will probably spoil it the poster is famously a spoiler I was very yeah. lucky to see this film on Turner Classic Movies where they were like don't look at the poster don't look at anything just watch to the movie right now, uh, so that's kind of what I say. uh It's it's a very interesting take on the genre, but yeah, we'll probably spoil everything because whatever.
1: I think it's worth noting that Debbie Reynolds was 38 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's worth noting uh, even because I like like, am turning oh, yeah. 38 next <laughs> month, and that now means that I can be officially a psycho uh, ditty yeah. I am over the hill. <laughs>
0: Well, when you look at the original women that were approached mm. to do this, they were looking at Shirley MacLaine and Joanne were very Woodward, young, right? And yes. the Shirley MacLaine, very young at that point. But that's to Cam's point. They were looking at younger women, and yeah. the decided to yeah. age them up yeah, somewhat. Yeah. And I right? think this is yeah. the
2: one where he also, like, if what we're talking about to go back to Alicia's point, uh, the way people were shielded. I believe they approached Rita Hayworth. Uh, and that's yeah. when they found out oh, she yeah. had Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's and nobody yeah. nobody had told that's, them they went for but, a full meeting that's actually it's a, a really sad, sad, sad story, story but it's kind of fascinating because yeah, yeah you would never know she would just retreated from public life and even nobody told them they went for a full meeting with her before they realized she had Alzheimer's but anyway yeah so it's yeah. it's kind of a fascinating film because he he was trying to develop it he had a great reputation with Universal after games because people really loved that movie but and that's it kind the one with
1: Simone Signore yeah as the and James baby.
2: Khan yep. yes uh, it's it's a lot of fun Um. and And you, so he had a great reputation, but it kind of fell apart, and nobody would, this script seemed pretty toxic. I think people saw it as more exploitation. Uh, and it was only Debbie Reynolds who super loved it. And as you said, she was coming off of a sitcom that kind of didn't work, but part of her sitcom deal was to produce a movie. So this movie ends up getting produced, interestingly, by Filmways, which is mostly a TV production company, mm-hmm. but does some, some co- kind of more extreme films. But I don't think that they necessarily were ready for such an exploitation picture. Yeah. And they were a little... You, you hear about a lot of producer headbutting, even though Curtis Harrington considers this his best movie and his most personal film.
1: Yeah, and as much as they're very much a television output, in no way does this feel like a TV movie. Like the,
2: Mm-mm. for the
1: most part, I think yeah. the, you know, the look of the film and all of the um, mise en scène is really well done. Coming back to Debbie, I was interested when I read that one. She's uncredited, so she did produce mm-hmm. this film, but yes. she's it's uncredited. They didn't want her name on the front end of it. They just wanted her to be the star, pure and simple. Um, but she is going through her own mental breakdown, mental health crisis while on Mm. set. Um, you know, this is, not that long after, if you think about it, the Eddie Fisher, Liz Taylor, sure. and if we want to talk about Hollywood scandals, very few are bigger than that one. Yeah. Um, so I think we forget about that fifty years later that that was Debbie Reynolds's life. I totally and,
2: did. You're you're yeah. illuminating me. <laughs> and, and It's like you oh, know shit, <laughs> right. Carrie
1: Fisher, her daughter at this point yeah. is about ten,
0: I think, or maybe yeah. fourteen. I can't remember. But if, um, if I can just quickly, if you if you're interested in this and you don't know the story, go watch Carrie Fisher's Wishful Drinking, where she has a literal flow chart where she breaks down. <laughs> whether or not her daughter is committing incest by dating like another Hollywood oh, no. star's child. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, she was she was the queen of the headlines, of the tabloids. Sure. Um, and so I think that makes it really interesting to exploit her star power for a film like this. And then given the personal background that she is having her own mental health crisis in a film where more her like partner, the character Shelley Winters yeah. is playing, is having a real meltdown. Um, I mean, the film is called What's the Matter with Helen? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um it's 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 so much bad so much simmering in the background yeah. of this film that it doesn't matter if you don't know this information because it's still such an enjoyable film, but when you bring in the extra textual, mm. um, which I think is true of a lot of psycho bitty films, like the reason Baby Jane is so fun is because everyone knew that these two actresses had hated each other <laughs> yeah. since nineteen thirty one. the psycho bitty genre is really about Having a star that you know all their dirty secrets, you know how many marriages they've had, you know, and then playing both, playing that up, and then playing, you know, against type where they're you're deglamorizing them, you're putting them in a wheelchair, you're putting them, you know, on poverty row, you're putting them, you know. At a like rinky-tink. In
0: the case of this one, you're making the millennials, or you're making them look like a
2: a psychotic Gene Harlow that's like too blonde, (laughs) too perfect. But actually, you know what? I this actually connects so well. I'm glad you brought this up because I totally didn't think of it, and it connects so well to what I think is very interesting about this in the canon of psycho bitties, which is that they're mothers because most psycho are yeah. pathetically not mothers and tend to be a little obsessed with children and like yeah. creepy as we'll get into with, in Auntie Roo. but uh, yep. I think that that's a, a fascinating point because you're seeing two different kinds of mothers and uh, Helen her problem is she takes it all too much on herself she blames herself that her son did these murders and the problem with Adele uh, Debbie Reynolds character is she takes no blame And yeah. and they kind of paint her as the worst character because yeah. she completely cuts off her son and tries to remake her life and pretend that nothing happened and even Shelley winters has this wonderful speech where she's like that woman they killed was us she was our age she looked like us yeah they're trying oh to God. kill us
0: she was a working woman just like us about the same age she looked quite a bit like us
1: so our sons really wanted to kill us they
0: hated us that was the substitute revenge
2: and that's so shaking but it's wonderful that you say that because Obviously, Debbie Reynolds probably, she was like one of the most famous kind of single mothers in Hollywood. She probably had a real reputation as this... You know, cold woman who didn't need a man and was out on her own. So you kind yeah. of see that in the adult character, and they're absolutely playing up. And if we're going to talk
1: about cold mothers, I mean, who's <laughs> the queen of them? Joan Crawford, who is, you know, one of the actresses. Just really, I think, if we have to pick one actress, even over Betty Davis, she is the psycho Betty Queen for oh, how yeah. many that yeah. she did. Straight Jacket, my God, Straight Jacket is a great film. I was reading. Um, there's a New York Times review in 1968 so just a few years before the films we're talking about, of a film called The Anniversary. And Renata Adler, who always kind of cracks me up, uh, referred, she had to kind of define what the psychobitty genre was. And so it it didn't have the name psychobitty yet. It didn't have, you know, Grand Dame, Guinal. It didn't have hag exploitation. Those are all terms applied later. She referred to it as the terrifying older actress philicidal mummy genre. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> which hits all the films filicidal, meaning a parent who intentionally murders their child I mean that doesn't happen here necessarily yeah. but it's not far off
2: yeah and I, I mean it's, it's kind of fascinating because like you say this is a uh, genre that is kind of stitched together and, and we're we're really at what is kind of the tail end of the boom as you say there's still Greta there's still uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker which Becky and I love uh, and I mean <laughs> I you, know you, so you, can, uh, you can also go back to like obviously you, like uh, Lady Havisham is like the original Psycho Bitty it's in yeah. literature um, yeah. but Didn't yeah it's, it's this kind of interesting thing because I don't think even while making it people are necessarily thinking these are connected but this film is kind of interestingly connected because of Harrington loving the author. And and going for the author, and he made two adaptations of the author's work, including How Awful About Alan, which is a TV movie that Becky watched a bit of. It's crazy. It's uh, it's it's one. It's yeah, fun. It,
0: it's worth your time. It's Anthony Anthony Perkins, Anthony Perkins it's wild.
2: and uh, the psycho Gosh, I can't remember her name. His it's his sister, uh, but she's she's a bit of a, a kind of a classic character too. So I think it's very interesting. And the other thing that works so well is Harrington is obsessed with character actors and actresses of a certain age, and I think just elderly people he's kind of a, an interesting guy where you can tell that he never loved his own performances but he makes this house of usher film when he is a very old man who i think has had already suffered a stroke and i think he's like ah finally i can I think, be what i want
1: <laughs> the usher thing though and i could mm-hmm. be wrong so i know it was released in the 80s but he actually that's his first film so, oh, no, was... so
2: he remade it so okay, he made got a it. movie Sorry, when I he was, was... 14, okay. and then yes. in t- 2002, I think, he made a remake of The House of Usher with him as an old man.
1: Got it. Okay, the yes. How Awful About Alan psychobiddy is Julie yeah.
2: Harris. There you go, yes. And there she's wonderful go. in it, yeah. yeah. And I think he has this yeah. interesting care, not only about those people, but, like, if you hear him talk about any of these movies, he's talking about, like, uh, you know like Agnes obviously Agnes Moorhead is huge but he's talking about like Yvette Vickers like people who show up for one mm-hmm. scene and he's like oh I was so in love with having Molly Dodd come on set and it's like <laughs> all of the you know the la- the ladies who come in and, and you look it, actually this is these two movies we're going to talk about are kind of his peak in a lot of quality and and studio involvement so a lot of his other movies reuse the same actors from like Night Tide uh, and his more yeah. independent films and so, Night Tide had yeah. Dennis
1: Hopper in it right That's yeah like really yeah Hopper. yes because
2: yeah. I mean he's what we'll, we might talk about a little more going forward is he was a big experimental filmmaker so he had a lot of mm-hmm. clout um, he is one of the like James Whale hangers on so he knew yes. he knew everybody he
0: was a consultant on yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he this also is, was a hanger-outer with uh, Orson Welles. Sure. Kind of interesting. So, I mean...
0: I, I want to be clear. I really love this. I think it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I'm going to go back and probably watch it again for Halloween. Um, But I really wish it was made a few years later. Mm-hmm. They had to cut a lot of stuff for content yeah. because we're still on that cusp of, like, they don't want to be too risky. It's still a studio movie. Mm-hmm. They're still like, we can't make her an out- outright lesbian. We just kind of have to hint yeah. at it. And they were... Um, there's a moment in the film where Shelley Winters was is really pushing for a kiss on the mouth. And supposedly it was filmed. Yeah, yeah. If the film is out there, I want that restored because, man, that would really change the movie. Um, and talk about groundbreaking for 1971. Um, and then even the scene where, spoiler alert, uh Debbie Reynolds is stabbed to death. Uh, they wanted, like, a full psycho moment where it was, like, brutal, yeah. and that doesn't happen. Unfortunately, you get this, like, weird thing.
2: Apparently filmed, too. And I think that that's the unfortunate thing where this, because this film is produced by Filmways, and not somebody like AIP and Arkoff I don't know that they would have been comfortable with lesbianism, but they would have been comfortable with the violence. Um, So I think Filmways was kind of trying to split the difference. And Mm -hmm. there's an unfortunate thing, which is nice but bad, but like uh, Harrington calls himself, or he said people called him the the modern-day George Cukor, and he's like, not because of the quality of my films, but because I was so nice to work with, and I was so good at working with people who were a problem.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but also they're gay. Like, I mean, George Cukor is probably one of the most famous, you know, queer directors working in a hall, you know, studio film. I mean, there is some debate whether he was, Gay or not, I think, but I think we are. Oh yeah, I think I think both of those gay.
2: guys are, are pretty. But yeah, but I guess so. The thing is, is he often compromised, and he just thought it was part of the business. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's unfortunate. Like I also, he loves this movie. It's worth saying he loves this movie. He loves the final product, uh, in spite of the fact that it cut this violence out. He'll be the first to say it cut this violence out. It cut this this gay like overtone. Not even under- <laughs> there's yeah. plenty of undertones yeah. in it. Uh, but he also apparently I, I found a little information that uh, this film is not very much in his style like if you watch his other movies you kind of get to know his style which is very dreamy and very surreal and apparently this film involves a lot of dissolves which he was not allowed to use Hmm. it's a pretty classically cut film but uh yeah so it probably had a little bit more of a dreamy style which isn't there but it's fine you know it's still a great movie
1: yeah I could see it also having more of a style that is hearkening back to the 1930s films of Hollywood, sure. right? Which yeah. had dissolves and things like that. And we do get a lot of performances. There's a little girl at the recital who performs uh, Nasty Man
0: from George White's <laughs> Scandals of 1934. Yes, so good. May I point out that? That is Robbie Morgan, who would go on to be a scream queen in Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very funny. But she's great. Like, it's very weird, but she's great in it. (laughs) Like, she does it very well. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's amazing.
2: It's an interesting thing because I also think, like, uh, having the benefit of seeing all of Curtis Harrington's uh, films nowadays, a lot of people pin this movie as being like, well, Debbie Reynolds made it. Debbie Reynolds no. forced mm-hmm. in all these performances and forced in all these dances. But Curtis Harrington <laughs> has singing and dancing in all of his films. Yeah. He Every horror movie stops for a long dance sequence because I think he just loves it.
0: And them. honestly, I think the movie works better for it. And it's also such a,
1: a cornerstone. It's a cornerstone of the Psycho Biddy because if I think about,
2: yeah. you know, and
1: I can barely count on two hands the iconic moments in Whatever Happened, Baby Jane. Mm. What's the most iconic one? Betty Davis as an old lady performing sure. that song like yeah. it's
2: yes that's true <laughs> I've written You're right. a letter
1: to daddy yes yeah there's people yeah. who don't have never seen that film and they know that song and Betty Davis <laughs> you know she had some roles where she was a chorus girl or dancer very few in comparison to mm-hmm. Crawford but you know she was even putting dance and music sequences Probably. with actresses who were certainly like Olivia de Havilland like who were not like Joan Crawford's of the 1930s and 40s.
0: Well, I want to get us into the relationship between Debbie Reynolds and Shelley Winters, because Shelley Winters wasn't originally approached for this. She was invited by Debbie Reynolds. You mentioned that Debbie Reynolds was going through mental health crisis. So was Shelley Winters. She was having a really big, difficult time during this, uh, so much so that she was having trouble getting to set. So Debbie Reynolds would have to go pick her up in the mornings. And one morning she found her on the highway in her nightgown trying to hitch rides. And when she Picked her up. She was like, "Oh, I thought I was late, so I was trying to get, I was trying to get there." It's like, "Oh my god, that's just difficult."
2: No, I love it. I did. You see, there's a great promotional quote where, like, obviously it's so so weird. Like, we're talking about the fact that the poster spoils everything, but in all promotions, they spoil the whole movie too. But there's a great Debbie Reynolds one where she's like in this film I get stabbed to death by Shelley Winters and I'm just hoping I don't get stabbed to death by Shelley Winters on set which is like <laughs> oh
0: my god because <laughs> Shelley Winters so the reason why Shelley decided to do it was she got sent the script because she had just written a play for Broadway this mm. sort of like Broadway Robert premiere. De Niro Robert De me Niro say, and she's crazy. like you know Bob <laughs> exactly and she didn't want to she, originally she didn't want to be in town to see how it was received <laughs> yeah. and then eventually she changed her mind being like why am I not in town it's my play because yeah. it's Shelley Winters um, but uh, even in the inter- that says uh, of uh for this thing even before she went to make it she's like I'm gonna go I get to kill Debbie Reynolds it's gonna yeah, be great it's very <laughs> Just like, <yes>. it <laughs> makes sense
1: so don't you wouldn't you want to see the film more knowing that there's like these famous actresses murdering oh, yeah. each other like yes. and you know oh, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't happen in Baby Jane no one no. well lots of people die but you know Jane and um Oh, I can't remember Joan Crawford's. Uh, I can't
2: remember name. It doesn't her name matter. Either.
1: Blanche, you are in the chair, Blanche. Blanche yes. But you You're are. Blanche, you <laughs> are. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Blanche and uh, Baby Jane. They, you know, you they don't die. Like although it, she's very dehydrated on that beach in the end. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> so I would want knowing one of these ladies dies right up front on the poster mm-hmm. in the publicity materials. I completely understand why producers did that. It's annoying to us mm. today, but it, it must have equaled some box yeah. office.
2: Bomb. And you're right, Becky, that all of these films have, and some of them even overstated, like at least this has a shot from the movie. Like I think even uh, our next film has, it's like, well, that's not really what happens in the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's. A, I mean, the other thing that is of course a joke is, like even Curtis Harrington makes a joke about it, and all the reviews do. It's like, what's the matter with Helen? She's crazy. She's crazy from minute one. Like. <laughs> She's the, she's the most twitchy insane woman of all time you know what
1: line I love from her that really early in the film painted her character for me they're talking about movies and you know Debbie Reynolds' character Adele is obsessed with film and fan magazines and basically she's she brings up a movie I can't remember which one something with Gene Harlow and uh, Helen answers, oh, I've only seen one movie in the last five years and that's Sign of the Cross. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's who that <laughs> yeah. is. That makes uh,
2: I mean, sense. She, she is so good in this movie. It's worth saying. Like, I, like, yeah, apparently yeah, she amazing. was a handful on set, but H- Harrington loved the performance. She loved the performance. I mean, she, the, uh, there's great interviews where she's like, I mean, I guess you could interpret it either way, but I think I was pretty clearly being a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, was, she pushed
0: for it. Yeah. She was pa- she was pissed it wasn't more yeah. overt. She was the one who pushed for for the on the mouth kiss. I'm going to call it and this will
1: flow into our conversation for the next film. Sure. Shelly Winters is a badass. (laughs) Like we don't give her enough credit. Like she was the OG badass. (laughs)
0: badass. <laughs> she did whatever she's she wanted, got so which much, is great. Yeah, She's just got so much bad reputation, bad woman, mm. bad on set, difficult to work yeah. with, bullshit following her that you forget, oh no, she actually was breaking and, down. And
2: boundaries. as we know, yeah. like, most difficult, I mean, obviously she had some mental health struggles, but most difficulty is just tr- tr- women trying to get what they want yes. in yeah, Hollywood. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you also add addiction <laughs> yes. into that, but I would also say yeah. what sets her apart from someone like Debbie Reynolds is she didn't have the fuck you money that Debbie no. Reynolds had. Yeah. So when you're an actress and, you know, you don't have the, a lot of financial resources, um, I mean, this is all actors, you know, mm-hmm. it, it did set her apart where she's not going to be producing her own film. She wasn't, she didn't no. have that, she didn't have those resources to draw upon. And so she's kind of at the whims of um, the studio system that's crumbling at that point, but also luckily friends with Debbie, I mean, Debbie, I think did very right by her uh, in this yes. film and really, I don't know if you'd have Poseidon Adventure without uh, What's the Matter with Helen.
2: Yeah, no. yeah, her, her career is kind of interesting because it goes constantly, basically. <laughs> and I yeah. think that it required that for people to always be like, she isn't quite the Debbie Reynolds seller but I think that people knew, especially by the 70s, it's like, yeah. And she launched, I mean, she ends the Psycho Bitty here, and you're right. She launches the the, the next genre, which recouped all our old actors, which is a disaster genre. Oh, yeah. Ava Gardner's in that genre. Everyone like... sitting on an airplane waiting <laughs> for it to go down. Or
0: in a, or in a building on fire.
2: Yeah, true. <laughs> That's true. right.
0: Towering Inverno. Well, I, I wanna point people towards, if you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. please go look at the Debbie Reynolds exercise video because Shelly Winters <laughs> is in it. Al- Alicia's favorite Terry Gar is yes. in it. Um but Shelly Winters shows up wearing a sweatshirt that says, I am doing this for Debbie. Oh my <laughs> she god. She refuses to stop doing oh. or she refuses to do the exercises like halfway through and just lays there oh, pulling around. I'm gonna oh. Google oh. custom oh sweatshirt god.
1: companies and make a I'm doing this for Debbie for myself.
0: It gets better. And then she starts yelling about, so who here has slept with Howard Hughes? Yeah. And including Debbie Reynolds puts up her oh, hand. Oh, I was going to say, like, if you room... asked that
1: question in the 70s, you would have an 80% uh, was... positivity she rate. She talks
0: about sleeping with Marlon Brando. Like, she completely derails it the whole is, It is wonderful. And, and also,
2: like, you know that essentially she's like, oh, I'm bringing Shelly. She's not going to do the exercises. <laughs> she's just going to talk. And it's a delight throughout.
0: But Debbie Reynolds also holds her own because she's like, I hate doing this, but I like looking good. (laughs) Before we move on to the next film,
1: can I just give a little shout out to Debbie? And I feel like this is very well known now, but like, At a time, it wasn't. This woman preserved Hollywood history like no one else. All of these, like, you know... What's that website? Sorry. Uh, Like, bustle articles or articles Mm. like BuzzFeed about, like, oh, my God, they found another pair of ruby red slippers from, you know, Wizard of Oz. Debbie was garbage, like, basically (laughs) dumpster diving. All the MGM sets, like, in this era, 71 would have been big for this, taking Mm. all of the things that the studios threw out personally paying to store them to like preserve them as best she could with limited resources and it's a big year for debbie reynolds i think in 2021 going into 2022 because the academy museum is finally opening which in terms of some of the most important props that they're going to be displaying were rescued by Debbie Reynolds in the 1970s.
0: I think you are failing to give credit to Planet Hollywood <laughs> and the franchise of that kind true. of preservation. Yeah, failing. Allowing yes. the days of Thunder F- Car to rot away in front of the Niagara Falls establishment when it was abandoned.
2: Yeah, uh, Niagara Falls is a real Psycho Bitty location. Oh my Hollywood. God, can we
1: make a Psycho film that takes place in, on in Clifton pla- Hill? Oh my God.
2: Yes. Mm, true.
0: Uh, And then the last thing I just want to say, because I mentioned we were going to get into it quickly, was uh, we are all big fans of Day of the Locust here, but there are some accusations Curtis Harrington has thrown at John Schlesinger (laughs) specifically for the Amy Semper McPherson bit. He says that John Schlesinger stole that from his movie which I can see. But yeah. No,
2: she it's was an a historical...
0: She was a, I mean, it's an older book. Yeah. But that doesn't happen in the book. That was added. Oh, okay. It is, but also like, right. that
1: was part of Hollywood's 1930s history. That is, Amy Simple McPherson was a real person. Like
2: I will say yes. that he is obsessed with Amy Simple McPherson, though. She comes up in many of his films, inclu- including games. And I wonder how much... And I mean, he's obsessed. It's interesting he says he never saw her. He said his parents went and were like, ugh. Because apparently she was so... Uh, the best, the quote he has was was, she's like, when I pass around that collection plate, I don't want to hear the jingle of coins. I want to hear the rustle of paper, (laughs) which I'm like, oh boy. And he's like, that was in the depression. (laughs) Um, But anyway, he, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he loves, he's also a a wonderful, like old bitch shit talker in all his interviews, which is great. He also believes... He believes that Alien stole the plot of Queen of Blood, a Russian film he re-edited for Roger <laughs> Corman. 60s. Yeah, that
1: doesn't <laughs> quite work, I think. No,
2: um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a, I mean he's a delight, but yes, it, it's funny that it's in a feud, and th- these two movies are wonderful compliments. You should watch this and Day of the Locust together. Um, yeah. But you're right, they are they have weirdly similarities. They have the little mop-headed kid that keeps stomping on people.
0: All right, and with uh, weird little moppets that keep stop stomping on people, uh, we're gonna come back and talk about our next movie it's who slew auntie Roo, or if you're feeling really proper and british whoever slew auntie rue that's coming up after the break botox cosmetic out botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you
2: For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit
0: BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: In our last movie, the Moppets escaped relatively unscathed from Shelley Winters' Helen. Not so much in our next movie, the delightfully titled Who Slew Auntie Roo?" If child endangerment is not something you're okay with seeing in movies, this one is not going to be for you. It does, however, pit Oliver's Mark Lester against, once again, a deeply troubled Shelley Winters, directed by Curtis Harrington. It also features one of the weirdest scenes of apple eating, possibly in film history. And I'm including the Laurence Olivier one. So Cam, Alicia, who slew Auntie Rue? Are either of you wary of women you aren't related to insisting you call them auntie, even <laughs> though they aren't related to you and you really, really don't want to? Uh, I've never had that situation come
1: up. Really? After oh. watching this film, I know how I would handle it. <laughs> Throw no, her I in the oven.
2: Light <laughs> 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 her on fire. I have a lot of good aunties that, that helped raise me that I like, so Aww. I don't know. None of them tried to kill me. <laughs>
0: That's good. I've got. I've had some good ones too. I mostly did terrible things to them. So. Yeah, I think
2: we probably <laughs> share some aunties, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I think we yeah, do. Yes. All
0: right, Alicia,
1: what's this one about? This is a piss poor retelling of Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> uh, Iconographed. Yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, it really is. Kind of Hansel and Gretel. It's not kind of. It is Hansel and yeah. Gretel where the, the protagonist, the Little Boy, is actually reciting, you know, Grimm's... I think Hansel and Gretel's Grimm's... I I will look sure. at Grimm's yeah. Fairy Tales. Um, it's very loose. And as much as I'm saying it's Hansel and Gretel... It is devoid of the iconography of, Mm -hmm. you know, a kind of a gothic fairy tale, which I really enjoyed this film, but it is not, I think, I don't think our listeners would be surprised to find out that this is not on par in terms of quality with Helen. Um, Mm. Rue is a little bit more of the made-for-TV kind of variety, but it is not without its merits. It is really fun, and it's a really fun Christmas film. So, I mean, as someone who likes to collect and... Uh, disseminate anti-Christmas films which the horror genre is very good for this is now in my canon of Mm -hmm. Black Christmas for sure if you look it up sometimes it'll say this film is 1972 but it was actually released in December of 71 with What's the Matter with Helen as a, specifically a midnight double bill in a few specific uh, Midwest cities in America. So these two were very part and parcel, went together, um, absolutely Shelley Winters and Curtis Harrington's name were what kind of glued them as a pair. And so it's fun to talk about them together on a podcast. But um, we have Auntie Rue, who is a former kind of vaudeville star who gets married in her past um, and has a daughter and the daughter dies traveling tragically by accident uh, and she goes insane her marriage falls apart she has kept the corpse uh, the mummified corpse of her daughter and keeps it in a secret nursery that she gets to through you know a secret wall like one of those bookcases that You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And this takes place in the 1920s. uh, And she is kind of the stewardess of a local orphanage and hosts a Christmas party every year. And so two little kids, brother and sister, are not chosen to go to this Christmas party because they're misbehaving. And Mm -hmm. uh, instead, they sneak away in the car with all the kids who are being driven, the chosen children, to this uh, mansion and just kind of crash the party crashers which i love these little six and eight year old party crashers and because the little sister uh is blonde she looks a lot like auntie rue's dead daughter and she decides throughout this christmas party which is a sleepover to basically swap out the mummy the mummified body and kidnap this little girl and hide her um the little brother is the only person who believes this has happened and then has to break into the house and rescue his sister. And this is where the Hansel and Gretel story kind of comes in where they, they really view uh, Shelly Winters's character, Auntie Rue as a witch. And there's a giant oven in this kitchen yeah. where she keeps stoking <laughs> kind of menacingly. And so he really thinks that she's going to eat them. Uh, she keeps talking about
0: fattening up the little girl. Yeah. And, and she is you know, skinny because she's and,
1: an and, orphan. So, I mean, and yeah. the, I sh- we should say this is, you know, very typical of a, Dickensian kind of orphanage. It's a very <laughs> yes. abusive, horrible
0: place Yeah, this to live. orphanage is neglectful. It's like, oh, oh yeah. one of the children is missing? Too bad, yes. let's go. They'll show yeah, up eventually exactly. or they won't. <laughs> yes. I'll
2: send her back. <laughs> missing also missing <laughs> within a house and they're like eh whatever yeah.
1: exactly. and there's yeah. there's this whole element that I really loved I wanted to see more of, of like a, se- a fake seance of you know these yeah. fraudster seance where um, there's a guy who comes in and helps her a medium help her talk to her dead daughter mm-hmm. and it's really just they've hired the maid to speak through the dumb waiter, so it's like this yeah. echoey little girl voice darling come to me please I'm trying to come to you I am and so there's a lot of, you know, Auntie Rue is definitely a villain S, but there's also some sympathy for her. And as yeah, much totally. as I, I think I definitely had sympathy for Helen when she goes off the rails in our first film... I was reminded of a very uh, classic film, a film very close to me, uh, which is Adam's Family, where you have Morticia (laughs) reading, I think it's, yeah, she's reading Hansel and Gretel to the kindergarten class as a volunteer. And she tells it from like the point of view of the witch. Mm -hmm. And I kind of got that in this film where I kind of saw like, you know, and she dies, spoiler alert, she dies horrifically. And it's filmed horrifically, and the children are happy. Bloody good fire.
2: I'm pretty sure it's meant to imply that yeah. the children are maybe just... Because, I mean, the whole thing is they kind of say that the boy has these stories that he's obsessed with that get him into trouble. Which is yeah, yeah. And you know that he thought that they were she was fattening them up to kill them, but you see the guy delivering a pig. So it's like she was stoking the fire for the pig. Mm. So yeah. as much as she is weird and chases them around with the cleaver uh he, she maybe didn't need to burn to death <laughs> and
0: he's also unhealthily obsessed with his sister yes, like he, he's talking about you don't do anything without me yeah. you it's you and me together That's yeah because she is. wants like, to basically weird. she
1: just wants her she doesn't really yeah. want the yep. little boy um well why would you? and that, to her discredit <laughs> just to Oliver. you know and there's there is no denying this i mean maybe she's not going to eat the children and that was all in his head there are mm-hmm. a, a lot of scary dolls
2: Yes. Um, oh, and there a, were some scary, scary dolls toys. in
1: Helen as well. But like yeah. uh, the amount that Harrington focuses on, the terrifying childhood toys of the nineteen twenties. Wow.
0: Just if yes. dolls are not your thing, this is gonna be a real <laughs> triggering film for you. Yeah. The one thing I do have to point out is there isn't a gollywog toy and this is the sure. UK. So that's good. I appreciate yeah, but... <laughs> Some taste <laughs> exercise there, yeah.
2: This fascinating story, I think, like you say, that is set up with all these different kind of pieces because there's like she has an evil butler who's in on it with ralph richardson who's the psychic and they're trying to s- steal her jewels and also in the end the kids steal her jewels yeah, <laughs> so the like orphans that get this aspect. like
1: treasure chest of jewels which i guess they're gonna have to hide in their like mattress on the floor that they yeah. sleep on well, until I mean, they're 18 when on they how 16. weird and evil like they what you are,
2: I guess. Because yeah. uh, there's also like the weird implication that at first they don't speak at all because they've been so terribly traumatized by mm-hmm. previous issues. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a very strange plot. And I wonder how much... So like, this is a movie that Shelly Winters got and then was like, I want Curtis Harrington. Yeah. And I, I wonder if they fiddled a bit because there's all these different screenwriters and... Like a, an additional dialogue writer and stuff. So it's like, I wonder, it, it's very British, as you say. I think th- the shooting style that you talk about that's pretty flat is a very British. Style.
0: Yes. So supposedly Harrington really hated Desmond Dickinson's work mm. as the cinematographer. And I agree with him. I think this would work way better if it was much more gothicy. Yeah. It feels a little too TV movie 70s. It's too they bright. They don't play it's up the, go,
1: the haunting of the house, right? Yeah. Like this, you're hearing this little voice of a little girl. Like this is such a great genre that then crosses into the psychobiddy of the haunted house genre that in terms of the cinematography, the set design, art direction... It's just not there. And it could have been hugely improved, like you're saying, Becky, by a little bit less of a cheap set and more yeah. of a... And it's a better soundtrack too, like a creepy sort of... Um, I don't want to say like the changeling-esque... But yeah, the changeling-esque <laughs> but, yeah. sound design.
2: Yeah, which is wild. But yeah, I, I think if you look, it's it's actually quite shocking if you look at Harrington's next film, The Killing Kind from 1973. Just how different the style is, yeah. and how much this feels like a film from the 60s, and that one feels like a. And this is Arkoff again, so it's like it's exploitation. But, There's blood. Like Killing Kind is 70s exploitation, and this is very old time exploitation. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, you actively watch a child die in this. That's sure. the part where I was like, "Oh, I am not sure how I feel about that." And I believe she's impaled. Is she impaled, or does she just break her?
1: No, yeah. I, I, think I think I thought- saw her fall off the banister, which is something I did as a kid all the time—slide down the banister. Yeah, and it, I was somehow say- she. I think she falls on, like, an iron piece of furniture.
2: Oh.
0: Does she? Okay. Because I know it happens in slow motion, and I was a bit too, like, on that one. It's definitely, I think
2: the way this works is in that weird way, the thing we always talk about of, like, I think this is a good horror film for kids. You know, it's quite violent. It's worth saying that there is blood and grossness. But I do think if you see it from the eyes of a child and it's not quite shot like that, like you say, it's not very successful. But I do think it's like it's not too super scary for for an older kid. And also, it's like from the kid's perspective, that kind of thing, like falling off a banister and breaking your neck, is a perfect kind of kid scare. It's what your parents where, tell you could yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna to happen, it. and you're like, hey, she'd probably break her arm. <laughs> she had to fall off pretty specifically. <laughs> yeah, it's one to like, story.
1: It's like a half yeah. story. Oh god, that's yeah, why I think you. she got impaled. But I for, forgive okay. me, listeners, if my my mind is that dark, where I
0: pictured <laughs> an unnecessary <laughs> no, impalement of a fair. child. You're just having flashbacks I mean, uh, to your trauma of Hand that Rocks the Cradle. Uh, that's the problem. also <laughs> worth
2: saying. We, people are always like Kurt. how did you get into it and he's like I always, he's like, since I was a child, I loved this stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> he's like, I, I, he always talks about like, he saw the Bride of Frankenstein billboard as a child and was like, <gasps> hmm. but his parents wouldn't let him go to it. <laughs> so he didn't see it until he was older.
0: Do you think that Shelley Winters asked to perform the Tit Willow scene? <laughs> Do you think that was her recommendation? Because that just comes out of nowhere and goes on for a long time. I think like it's probably. in, I think it's in
1: keeping with every one of these films has to have a musical deranged vaudeville-esque you Mm. know so much of these films too are about old hollywood like this is the 20s helen is the 30s but really it's about because they're taking place in the 70s and this is kind of always what cam talks about a lot and talked about early in the episode which i love is you know they're really reflecting on the old how far they've come from old hollywood right and so there's a lot of conversation with vaudeville performance and like, Baby Jane, obviously, is, you know, looking at how two vaudeville children kind of get eaten up in Hollywood. <laughs> um, so I think it's probably, I can't imagine she requested that specifically, but I'm sure she was like, I'm down.
2: You know, just the patheticness of an old show Yeah, the, perver-
1: the perversity Try. of it, right? Like, yeah. so much of this is, these are perverse films about, and I say that as a compliment, about the perversity <laughs> of stardom in Hollywood and, you know, aging actresses. Um Hamming it up just makes sense. I mean, the apple scene to me is where, it's and nice. that could be all in the boy's imagination, the fantasy, the yeah. hyperbole of it. Uh, but it is like, I, I'm trying to find a gif. I might have to make my own gif uh, <laughs> of Shelley Winters eating that apple because I think I can use that in a number of digital situations.
2: Sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a crazy plot too because it's like you start off the film thinking that. <laughs> Her daughter was involved in a magic trick that her husband did that went awry that made her disappear forever, right? Why oh, isn't that the movie? I know.
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> almost beheading in this film that I couldn't quite understand. Yes. But you're right, Cam. I would forgot about that part. So I mean, maybe that, that is what really happened and the
0: banister scene. Oh, no.
2: The banister, I think, is what really happened. And I think the other thing is her delusion. Like, I think she just made up um
0: because it seems like she ended her relationship with her yeah husband i think her husband left her because right? she went okay.
2: crazy but, but it's she had interesting. to keep
0: all of his equipment in her attic
2: yeah, oh, yeah everyone I, needs I, a storage space i still have I stuff in from
0: my mom's garage from when i went to university and i mean it's <laughs> like it's, it's, it's
2: interesting because you never really know how much the staff knows about because you know one of the maids saw the kid crack her neck or whatever and then but like Does the butler know that there's a mummy in the house?
0: Yeah, he does. Because, yeah, no. Well, maybe he doesn't. He? How much he knows is always a weird yeah. thing because he knows she kidnaps the kid. We should also mention this is played by Michael Gothard, we're going to go with, uh, who's the exorcist in The Devils. This is in him playing another episode. bad guy. Yeah. He is a quintessential bad guy. I don't think we mentioned in The Devils episode, he was a Bond villain and he's like, he's genuinely creepy and upsetting. And he's creepy and upsetting here. And like, it's one of the, it's a really well written blackmail scene too. I thought he plays it very he's well. He's a very
1: body performer.
2: Unless you give me 2,000 quid, Rosie. I'm going to have to report
0: to the police that you've become a kidnapper. You've got Katie locked in the nursery, haven't
1: you? Haven't you? Like yes. there's a body to What he's yeah. doing? Where he's jumping off the screen, <laughs> and I think it's really a, it really works in The Exorcism, but it works in a much quieter
0: film like this. Oh. He takes so much joy in running after those children. That it with is a cleaver? Like, yeah, it's pretty yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's the weird thing, too. It's just, like, it seems like they're almost more likely to get murdered by this guy than the crazy lady with the mummy, which is a whole weird thing. And I mean, he again, he stuffs his cast, like, with people like Rosalie Crutchley, who's from The Haunting, who plays the head of the orphanage, uh-huh. and Hugh Griffith. Yeah. He was the rabbi in Dr. Fives. He's the weird butcher that saves them, question mark. <laughs> doesn't save them. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's... It's a kind of a fancy, uh, fascinating thing because it's hard to tell how much Curtis Harrington had a hand in all of this and again you know he talks about Michael Gothard was a, a terrible nightmare on set apparently as well I think Ken so again, Russell
1: said that too for the Devils.
2: yeah, yeah. And, and again this is Harrington's deal uh, he apparently just is like I can work with the nightmare people don't worry I will get a, I will get a performance out of them uh,
0: in his actual quote he says that he was very pleased to have Shelley Winters Shelley Winters was really the only person that he had like any influence in. Mm-hmm. he wasn't able to okay. cast anybody else oh. everybody else was just assigned well, to that's, him that's
2: that's why. great then I mean I guess I guess a lot lot of these guys are Arkoff people too you know he, yeah. he had his hand in it and Shelley Winters wanted Curtis Harrington because she had such a great time uh, on the set where, she, where everyone else was miserable because of her
0: and this is another fantastic Shelley Winters performance oh, like amazing. even if anybody everybody else is doing whatever like I think wait, the thing you're we talking about Alicia where it's like do you feel sorry yes. for her is she a monster is she both is because of the Shelley Winters performance where you can buy no she's both like I feel bad for her and this she's a monster.
1: would be almost I would say unwatchable without her Oh, yeah. and I'm Agreed. saying it's very watchable I want to recommend everyone Christmas Day to sit down with their families <laughs> and watch this film um, and make you know a turkey because there's a lot of turkeys in this sure. film a lot of <laughs> chopping of turkey heads and
0: imagine it's the, the relative that has bad opinions whose skull you're Yeah, a lot, or a or lot of decay. conversation <laughs> on
1: stuffing like there's a really great scene where she's maniacally <laughs> making stuffing with her hands which I really <laughs> love um, yeah. yeah it's a great cri- Christmas iconography okay. is, is all over this film
2: comparing these two it's also interesting just to see the the subtlety, subtle difference in performance and I think you're totally right that this one has a lot more sympathy Helen yeah. is not a very sympathetic character she's kind of she she's meant to trick that thing in your mind where you're like this is a nice lady but I want to belt her <laughs> and, and, and Auntie Rue is just much more pathetic yeah. and like sad for yeah. her.
1: She's antiquated. Like, as much as the film Mm. takes place in the 20s, she's an old school horror figure, right? Like, she's the dying monster, basically, while, you know, the new generation of children
0: are just going to light her on fire and move on, basically. She'd... I've been thinking a lot recently about the more interesting choice in movies mm-hmm. and this is one where they choose so it's on the lobby card as well the mummy but like the opening scenes has the mummy yeah. so you know she's got her dead daughter right away mm-hmm. but I'm like is, it the, is that the more interesting choice so you set up the suspense of okay what's she going to do to these kids and what she capable of or is the more interesting choice you just think she's a pathetic old lady and then she kidnaps a kid right like what's the more interesting yeah. way of taking it, that story it
2: is interesting and I mean the Harrington's big time point is always Edgar Allan Poe and I do mm-hmm. think kind of knowing the corpses is maybe a bit more of a Poe thing because you're you're wondering about if the seances are real or not that's kind of the the trick but, yeah, you're, I think you're right, again, that the design is what's off here. It should be a much creepier house. And, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the thing that's unfortunate is they always talk about the reason why Hansel and Gretel comes up is they call this the gingerbread house. It yes, but it doesn't, doesn't look really like a gingerbread like house. It, no. it
0: has some white trim that could <laughs> yes, trim. could stand in for icing.
2: <laughs> yes. Well,
0: they are orphans. They perhaps have never actually seen a gingerbread house. They've just heard tell and maybe tales. maybe it doesn't look so, enough no.
2: not like a b- big British house for me to think of it as. No, yeah,
0: for. I mean
1: this is filmed in Sh- this is at Shepperton, right? So it is a it's a UK soundstage, I think, and then yeah, maybe I some so. outdoor locations. There is a certain scene where Shelley Winters' character hands out a gingerbread uh, man to every kid, and there's a lot made of the fact that she's American, and so she has to explain that gingerbread men are like an American delicacy. And I was like, mm, is, yes. I've, there's a weird like British American hey! like confluence here that I I find. Kind of baffling, but is, and we've seen this a lot in 71 with Horror when we were talking about our first episode with uh, Rue Morgue. Certainly, it's just like some of these really kind of bizarre Americanisms in a British film that have to be like explained to British audiences. I find very time capsule and interesting. Sure.
2: Yeah. It's very interesting. And I mean, yeah, the, the whole movie is just full of these just little moments. Like, obviously, it kind of leads nowhere, but Ralph Richardson doing these seances is a delight. Yes. But yeah, it's 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 a strange movie, to say the least.
1: That I'm recommending. I'm going to say. <laughs> sure, <laughs>
2: sure. Yeah.
0: All right. I think we can leave it there. So Alicia Fletcher, thank you once again for your recommendations and your joie de vivre.
1: Oh, thanks, Becky. I love Psycho Biddies. I want to see more <sighs> Psycho Um, I want more Isabelle Huppert as a Psycho biddy. <laughs> I want to also encourage listeners to think about what Actors they would like to see as a biddy. Yeah. Because um, there's, you know, I love that you brought up American Horror Story with some of the greatest actors of all time. Like, Kathy Bates and Jessica Ling and um,
0: of course Angela Bassett but like let's get more I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Laura Linney whenever Laura Linney <laughs> wants to take her turn uh, at the I X think, I'm ready yeah.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say Goldie Hawn but Death Becomes Her is basically Psycho Bitty, So it, oh I hadn't you know, thought of that and as we much. know
1: that's one of my favorite films good point yeah,
2: that's right
0: <laughs> uh, Cameron Maitland thank you so yeah, much yeah
2: thanks I, I would just encourage people to check out more Curtis Harrington stuff his, his shorts are usually on Criterion Collection he started off as an experimental filmmaker uh, and also so, yeah, Night Tide is great. It's it's in rights hell, so I think it's just available just about anywhere. <laughs> and uh his ol- his older stuff is a little actually, I mean by which I mean newer stuff, I guess, is a little more back in his style. Post Auntie Rue, he gets a little weirder and and dreamier. Uh, in his movies
0: now cam i have to thank you personally because you're the one who pointed us towards uh what's the matter with helen and it is glorious so thank you as always for your recommendations on these crazy
2: i gotta thank robert osborne for teaching me about it so many years (laughs) ago in my high school days
0: let's pour one out for robert All right. And you can join us next week where we're going to do a little detour from Shocktober into something a little lighter. We're going to look at an animation and a ballet. That's Shinbone Alley and The Tales of Beatrix Potter. That's coming up next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the A Year in Film podcast from Hollywood Suite. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform. Want to email the podcast? You can do so at podcast at HollywoodSuite.ca. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hollywood Suite. Hollywood Suite is the home of the movies that shaped the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Always uncut and always commercial free, Hollywood Suite lets you experience movies the way they were meant to be seen, on four HD channels and Hollywood Suite On Demand. Subscribe today at hollywoodsweet.ca. The A Year in Film podcast is hosted by Becky Shrimpton and produced by Becky Shrimpton, Alicia Fletcher, and Cameron Maitland and featured Cameron Maitland and Alicia Fletcher as guests. Supervising producer is Ryan Mainz. Executive producers are David Kynes and Julie Kumaria. Creative consultant is Emily Gagne. Audio engineering by Andy Reid. We'll see you next week.